<coughs> hey, that's crazy. That's crazy. Mom, we gotta go. A couple weeks ago, crazy how weak I get when I'm sick, when I'm just coming up. Yeah. I lifted that, it was so heavy. I lifted it today. Yeah. Anyone can do this. So what do you do it by myself today? Put that on my shoulder. I can do that. You're the man. No, we're not doing that. Welcome, everyone. The Faith Evangelical Church, and welcome those to, <clears throat> who are tuning in online. Welcome to those that are visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here. And we're really, truly glad and truly blessed because we are here to worship the true and living triune God. Amen. We're going to have our call to worship today from Psalm 65. And this is a Psalm of David. We're just going to read a portion of it. In verse 4, it says, How blessed is the one whom you choose... And bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with your goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in all the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. And so this is the reality of what God does with his people. He draws them in. He calls them unto worship. He calls them unto his holy temple, which is no longer a place in Jerusalem, it's no longer a place anywhere. His temple now exists and is Jesus Christ. And we are a temple of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit. I love the passage here. It says, he who stills the roaring of the seas and the tumult of the people and the roaring of the waves. He's referring to Christ. See, when Christ was on the boat with his disciples, you remember they were petrified. It was a storm. They thought they were going to die. And Jesus stood up and he just with a word, he calmed the sea. And so we look at that and we go, wow, he was supernatural. He was amazing. He did miracles. He was God. But really, those miracles point back to passages like this, that the God of all creation, the God of the Old Testament, did exactly what he promised to do. He promised to return to his people, to save them from their sins and to deliver by his own arm salvation. And that's what he's done in Christ. He is the living God has fully embodied Jesus Christ to come and die and take away our sins. Ultimately to give us forgiveness and ultimately to give us that relationship with him. So we invite you to enter in today to worship the true and living God through Christ. And before we do that, I'm going to pray. So I just ask you, you could just Pray with me um, from your heart as we ask the Lord to dwell to indwell this place with the Spirit. Father, we are in all of you, Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you now as we're here on Sunday. We praise you, Lord, during the week, even on Monday. We praise you, Father, when we're up, when we're down, during good times, Lord, and during bad. We know that you are in control and that you love us. So, Father, we ask that you would be present in an extraordinary way today as you always are, Lord. You never fail us when we come at your feet. And Lord, as we worship today through song, as we teach your word, as we pray and read and fellowship, we ask God that you would be glorified, that Christ would shine into each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, that, that we would reflect that back out into the world through our lives. So go before us, Lord. We come before you right now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to have digital worship today. So follow along on the screens. Everybody can stand and worship the Lord with us.
Amen. You may be seated. Um, let's, let, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we come before you today as the triune God to, to worship you and, and worship you alone. We, we proclaim your name as King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. And that is why we can sing, I'm going to see a victory because you've already brought about that victory by sending your son, Jesus, to the cross to die for us, to take our place, to pay the price for for the sins we've committed that we couldn't pay for to satisfy your wrath and then to rise again and show that you is truly God. And so, Father, we we do worship you and we, we are grateful for this victory over the power of sin and death and the great hope that we have in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, in the power of your Spirit today, we come seeking to glorify you and worship you as you deserve. You alone deserve the praise and honor and glory. We're so grateful to be able to come before you today and lift up your name and and praise you for your greatness in, in all of creation, in the world, in your work in our salvation, in our, your work in our day-to-day lives, sustaining us through the power of your name, through your word, and through your spirit. Father, we, we also confess that we are a needy people, that we're a rebellious people, that we often sin against you, that we depend on ourselves. We even seek to earn your favor through through things that we do rather than trust in you and, and your righteousness. Lord, we, we seek to please ourselves rather than you. We're often so self-absorbed. And Lord, we just pray that you would forgive us and, and that you would draw us back to you and restore us, create and renew a clean heart in us and a right spirit within us so that we can worship you and commune with you and, and enjoy the relationship that you paid that great price on the cross so that we could have it. Lord, so help us to, to live now in the power that, that, that we have through, through your life through your resurrection life. And Lord, we, we also want to lift up uh, people around the world um, that, that are in need. We think of the people in Morocco today that, that are suffering the, the effects of this uh, awful earthquake. Lord, we pray that your people would, would rise up and show your love and, and care and concern. Lord, we pray that aid would arrive and that you would be in the midst of that to be, to be able to bring hope uh, to people that don't know you and 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 care for those who who are in need and and we pray that there would be comfort for those who have lost so many lives. Lord, we we also want to lift up our family and focus this week. The Blooms uh, for Rodney, Jake, and Josh. We thank you for their presence in our congregation. We thank you for their lives, and we just ask that you would uh, bless them this week. That they would feel an extra measure of your grace and presence, and and would that you would lead them and guide them in all of their activities, um, in work and school and, and otherwise, Lord, we just pray that you would be, they would feel the, the closeness of your presence throughout this week. Uh, Lord, we also want to lift up the Larsons, our missionaries in focus, uh, Roy and Judy, who are working with Immigrant Hope and their work with uh, people in their legal processes. Lord, we pray that you would use them in mighty ways to uh, bring the gospel and, and help th- in orienting people through these processes and that you would use them now that they've relocated to Wisconsin, that you would continue to bless the ministry in Brooklyn and and bless them in their in their life as a family. Also, we want to uh, lift up Tony Catanzaro and his family as his mother passed away, Lord. We, you tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And, and so, Lord, we, we are uh, mourning with, with Tony and his family as, as, uh, with the departure of his mother. And, Lord, we, we pray that you would bring comfort and peace in, into his household, that, that you would renew them and, and give them uh, great hope in you and, and future with you, and, and that um, you would meet them in their, in their very need. We also want to lift up Wanda, uh, David Morales's aunt who suffered a stroke. We pray that you'd get her the medical care that she needs and, and that you would use the treatment from the doctors and um, 
that you would surround her with people uh, that will point her to you, that will give her care that she needs, and, and that you would um, just help her to, to feel your, your presence and, and healing. We pray for Dot Swain also, that you would just continue to, to strengthen her body and, and uh, be near to her each and every day as she trusts you um, and, and um, in her life with Fred and, and just worships virtually. Lord, we, we thank you for her presence in our congregation and, and ask your, your special blessing upon her and Fred now as well. And Father, we, we lastly want to lift up those who've gone to college and are, are in their classes. Lord, would you, would you equip them and strengthen them and encourage them in their walk with you as well as in their studies that, that they would uh, be a next generation that, that rises up to, to seek you and to follow you and, and to serve you. And Lord, as we go into our time of hearing your word preached, Lord, we pray that you would equip Pastor Pat with your Holy Spirit, that, that your unction would be upon him and that he would bring your very words to us through, through the scriptures that, that you've inspired. And so, Lord, we want to just lift you up and praise you today as the one true and great God and, and give you all of our praise and, and worship because you alone deserve that. And, and we are so grateful uh, to be able to be here in your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, for our Old Testament reading this morning, I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 to 40. So it's the full uh, chapter. It's a, it's a long chapter, and hmm? it's not the full chapter. It, that's true. It's not the full chapter, but it's 40 verses. Uh, you can follow along in the screen ahead as I'll be reading from the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 27. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older brother Esau and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat it, eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring him home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? My son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have, had, have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. 
Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. I just said that, sorry. Verse 27, So he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be masters of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your father, came, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives. I have given to him as servants with grain and new wine. I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come back about when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. May God bless the reading of his word. And uh, for those who are, want to hear the sermon translated into Spanish, you can uh, dial into that number um, now that's in your, the bulletin and on the screen. And also, for those who are going to King's Kids, you can now go to your class. All right, you did it. You made it through 25% of the entire Bible. So the reason we had such a long reading is because we have such a short text. So I didn't want you to leave without really getting a good shovel full of the word. Today we're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 11. And we are talking about faith. The whole entire chapter is about faith. And it's really unique because it's giving us an opportunity to explore this concept of faith in so many different angles. And today the word does not let us down. So we're going to take verses uh, 20 to 22 from Hebrews chapter 11. And then I'll read that now. However, today we're only going to cover verse 20. So this is a part one of however many sermons. So verse 20, by faith, this is what we just read about. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of Israel and gave order concerning his bones. So again, we're going to focus just on Isaac today. Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Now again, our faith, we were talking about so many aspects of this. The last time we met, we talked about Abraham being tested and having to sacrifice, or so seemingly so, his son Isaac to obey the Lord. And of course, at the last moment, God pulled it back and Abe passed the test. But we learned that faith isn't what I like to call a turnkey operation. It's not one of those things that can just return the key and that's it. It's all done for you. Well, I should say yes and no. Of course, salvific faith, meaning our salvation, the faith that accompanies our salvation, and the faith that we need to endure 
the tests of the Christian life. They're of the same, I would say, function, but they're certainly not of the same application. Okay, so remember that. There's one faith. There's not various faiths. And God gives us each a measure of that faith to then be applied according to his will. So once you become a child of God, you don't have to get faith to require the tests and to go through the trials like, God, give me, give me, give me. No, we already have that faith. It's already there. It just needs to be activated and grown. And I know many of us wish that it was simply that turnkey. And we know we're familiar with that word probably if you watch any advertisements or you see any product advertisements or service advertisements. Buy this book. Take this course. You know, follow this direction, follow this plan, and it's all done for you. We see it in uh, uh, every uh, houses, businesses, real estate. I mean, you could go on and on and on. But many times this idea is carried over into Christianity or into, I would say, the Christian life. You know, our faith just has to, it just has to be used one time, and that's it. I had enough faith to say the prayer. I asked Jesus to come into my life. I confessed my sins. I'm saved. I'm done. I'll just hang on to that faith forever. And now, hey, after all, I can never lose my salvation. I'm all set. And so your conversion may be a done deal, but nothing can be further from the truth as it relates to the process of your sanctifying or purifying faith. So sanctification is what God is a gift that God gives us that after we're saved, we get sanctified. We get more and more and more like Christ. Okay, God exposes sins. He exposes weaknesses. And we start to surrender those things over to him. And in turn, our faith develops. But this type of faith is not that solution that happens once. And it's a different model for every single person. Now, although Christ's death, his resurrection, and his ascension are foundational for every person's faith, and that may seem like it's one total autopilot type of thing, but as it relates to you getting through the tests and the trials that God has you going through right now, and the ones that he has planned for you in the future, they are done by design to grow your faith. So on the other hand of all this, from God's perspective, because of his sovereignty and because of his providence over all creation, this idea of turnkey fits perfectly in describing, I I would say in shorthand, what God's creation project is all about. And this is what we have to, is one of the most difficult things to understand as a believer. It's about his will. It's about his desires. It's according to his providence, and it's empowered by his sovereign will. And that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit before we get, before we we have to talk about that before we're going to talk about what's next, and that is Jacob and Esau. So what are you saying, Pat? From God's perspective, everything is set into stone? Are you saying all things are playing out according to God's will? According to his decreed conclusion, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. The entire creation is under the power, sovereignty, and providence of God, including your faith. Now, question 11 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism explains it well about God's providence. It says, God's works of providence are his holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and their actions. And it's all over scripture. One of the most familiar, Ephesians 1.11. God has predestined all things, all things according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now some get irritated by that, others get feathers ruffled, and others get comforted. It reminds us that while the precise purposes of God's secret will remain hidden from our sight, we could still draw comfort from knowing that whatever happens to us 
comes from God's good and wise plan for your life. If you think about it, it would be illogical for God to promise all things are going to work for good for those who love him if he wasn't completely in control of all circumstances that come to pass. Could he ever do this without complete control over his creation? Listen to Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 10. Remember this, and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not yet been done saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God's plans and his purposes from his perspective are turnkey. Now, from our perspective, that has very little application when it comes to the working out of your faith in our walk with God. Because from our perspective, God's secret will And God's purposes are absolutely unpredictable. So if you try to figure out God's will, you will very quickly understand how much of a creature and how much of God he really is and how much of a creature you and I really are. So then how does our faith work? Well, our faith works within God's providence and he works in us guiding our faith according to those sovereign decrees. And we're familiar with Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now this doesn't take away our faith or our choices. It establishes them. It doesn't take it away. It establishes them. So uh, the, the bad news is that we are not autonomous individuals. We are dependent creatures of God. Dependence means the state of fully relying on someone or something. <clears throat> we don't have independence to override God's sovereign will for our salvation, nor do we have it to override his will for our sanctification. And include, that includes our faith. So, what does all this have to do with this little tiny passage? Well, this passage, what we're looking at, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. When we look at this passage, it only skims the surface of what's going on. And if you've read closely or listened closely to what Kevin read in Genesis, you'll see that you'll start to smell out sort of where I'm going. See, this speaks of the result of the great faith of these patriarchs. But to understand how they got this faith in order to speak of things to come so assuredly, excuse me, we have to look below the surface. Now, what do we find? We find God's sovereign will overcoming and demolishing man's intentions and will every time. The last thing we'll find in the lives of these men is a set model of faith, a turnkey operation when it comes to how their faith played out. And Isaac is the perfect example. We know that he was the promise bearer. We talked about that last week. He was given to Abraham and Sarah in their old age of 100. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. Isaac was miraculously, yet biologically conceived. It wasn't Ishmael, he was the child of the flesh. But it was through Isaac, the seed of the promise, or the seed that which the promise would come through. Isaac and then Jacob, who of course is Israel. Our text again, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. We even see it there. Esau was the older, but why was Jacob's name placed first? Because he is the priority there. He is the preeminent one. It was him through who the seed was going to come. 
This text on the surface implies that Isaac's blessing, it was a willing, proactive step of faith. Hey, let me just bless you regarding things to come. Well, it wasn't. It was because he finally gave in to God's will. And that's what we have to consider right now. Are we kicking and screaming and fighting against God's will? Because if you are, it's going to be a long, long fight. It's going to be like the old UFC fights where they just went on forever until somebody gave up or got knocked out or was sent to the hospital. And guess what? It's not going to be God. It's going to be us. And so there's a lot that had to be developed in Isaac to end up with this faith that he then blesses. If it had been up to Isaac's will and Isaac's plan, the story of his faith would have played out much differently. How many times have you autonomously, independently, tried to control situations? Only to discover, again, that it was impossible. I think of when we're first converted. We first come to know Christ. It's a miracle, especially if you've had a conversion experience where you went from being a knucklehead to then not being a knucklehead. Seeing all the things that you've done wrong. Seeing now all of a sudden sin is really sin. Whereas before you were justifying it. Now you, you used to love that sin, but now you hate that sin. See, as the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ, also, oftentimes we kick and scream. But ultimately we can never resist this permanently if God has his eye on you. We could try but God's purposes will not be thwarted even in salvation. John chapter 6, 37 and 39, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. All will come. There's not one that's given that will not come. And in 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. The most complete, comprehensive verse of our salvation in the whole Bible. It shows here that God not only draws us and saves us, but he also raises us up on the last, raises us up at the end. Which obviously says and, and, and presupposes that that gap in between is also covered and guided by God. There's where our salvation is secure. Not in how your good works are playing out. Not in how much faith you have, but because of God. And him, and him taking you and making sure that your steps are guided. I think of the book of Esther. Ham, uh, Haman tried to destroy the Jews. He had no idea what God was providentially doing in the background. He was raising up the orphan Esther from the fields to ultimately become queen right at the specific time that he ordained. Not only did Haman's plot fail, and when he tried to kill Mordecai and exterminate the Jews, but the Jews ended up actually prospering, and Haman ends up on the gallows. And you know what's the most unique thing about the book of Esther is that God is not mentioned in the book at all. But his stamp of sovereignty is all over it. You see, Isaac also tried to control God. He tried to act independently of his will. Of course, he had faith when he blessed Jacob and Esau, but it wasn't done with a glad and cheerful, cheerful heart. You just read it. Or you, you saw it read, or you heard it read. Excuse me. It was done out of a humble and broken heart. And that's where God needs us to be. So, really, if you dig another layer down, the problem with Isaac is that he had a favorite. It was Esau. He loved Esau. He loved him more than Jacob. Esau, again, he was a hunter of game. He was a skillful man, a man that smelled like the field, a red hairy fellow who can resist a red hairy fellow. He was a man's man. Jacob was a peaceful man, probably a little reserved, a little timid at the time. And the first thing Isaac did to try to control God, and this is a lesson for every husband out there, is he ignored his wife's advice when she was pregnant. You never want to do that. Bad enough to ignore her during normalcy, but when she's pregnant, you know you have to always listen and agree. 
Now, that can be a dangerous thing in and of itself, but Rebecca heard from God, and Isaac ignored her. It happened when Rebecca, his wife, was about to give birth. Isaac actually prayed for the Lord to open up the womb. But during the pregnancy, she felt something happening in her womb. She felt a war going on. And the Lord spoke to her and said, two nations are in your womb. And the passage reads, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him and Rebekah conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, then why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. See, Isaac knew it was Jacob who was going to be served by Esau. But he ignored this oracle from God to his wife. And he sort of just went after this blessing for Esau. He, she, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebecca, where's Esau, my little promised child? You mean Jacob? I mean, they probably went back and forth. They probably argued over this. And then Isaac gets to the point where he's almost about to die. And he tries to hurry this blessing. He had too much affection for Esau. Esau was a train wreck. He was impulsive, short-sighted. And worst of all, he didn't even care about his birthright as the firstborn. He sold it to Jacob for a bowl of stew. It's when he was famished in the field in Genesis 25, starving to death, he said. Didn't even consider that firstborn place as valuable. The one that God had given him, he threw it away. And Jacob, of course, he was just as much of a sinner. His name means supplanter or deceiver, heel catcher. He wasn't innocent. Esau's sin and Jacob's deception is what God used to sovereignly bring forth his will, despite what everyone, including Isaac, wanted to happen. And the radical language God uses is he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. We read that in Malachi 1, verses 2 to 3. Talking to Israel, this is during the time of Nehemiah, if you remember, after the Jews had promised and recovenanted with God, and then they went back and did all the same things again, and God was bringing judgment upon them and saying that they were going to, uh, that, that He was going to disappear for a while until the Messiah. Now He says, "I have loved you," says the Lord. But you say, "How have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother?" declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now Esau went on to be a thorn in Israel's flesh throughout all of history. He was the father of the Edomites. They hated and terrorized Israel all throughout the Bible. Even through King Herod, he was an Edomite. Or back at the time, they were called Edomians. He ordered all the male children to be killed when he heard of the birth of Christ. This is the seed of Esau. Now, Paul goes even deeper on this, and he quotes and expands on God's, um, on God's affection towards Jacob and his providence over the situation in Romans 9. Speaking of God's sovereign choice of Jacob, he writes, as though the word of God has failed. This is Romans 9, 6 to 8, and then 10 to 13. I'll start over. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Meaning, the true Israel is not the Israel of the flesh. It's not the ones that can trace their genealogy back to Abraham. No, it's the spiritual Abraham. And he says, through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Through the promised child, the miracle child. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she conceived twins by the one man, our father Isaac. And though the twins were not born, and they had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, 
not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And now a lot of people say, well, this is just regarding those two nations. But Paul goes on and says, no, in verse 24 of 9, he goes, even us who are also called from the Gentiles, not just from the Jews. This applies to all. It's the spiritual Israel that's going to be in the resurrection. It's the spiritual Israel that's going to live in the new creation. And God has an affectionate, redemptive love towards his people. A love that's beyond any other love. A lot of people say, well, God has this unconditional love for everybody. That's not true. God doesn't have unconditional love for people outside of Christ. God's love for his redeemed, for that particular people who believe on him, for those who he died for at the cross, only those are going to have forgiveness of sins. It's his sheep that hear his voice. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Very specific. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my, my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep. So it's a very particular, specific love that God has for his people. And this included and began with Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob despite what they wanted to do, despite their sins, and despite their intentions, God's will was done. See, Isaac knew. He knew about God's sovereignty. He laid on the pile of wood. He saw the knife almost come down and thrust into his chest. God stopped it. He saw God deliver. He saw him fulfill his promise to Abraham. But he still tried to go around this blessing and bless Esau as the firstborn Of course, Rebecca, knowing the promise, she favored Jacob. She even helped deceive her own husband. They were all just avid sinners. Everybody had their own will, their own faith. They were all going their own way. And God turns it and works it all out for good. Now, I know this doctrine, it's again, it it sort of gets us with, you know, starts to brush our hair in the opposite direction sort of thing. Or maybe it's this way nowadays. Everybody seems to be coming forward. You know, we have no problem with God choosing Abraham. Yeah, that's great. He chose Abraham. We have no problem with God predestining Jesus, delivering him and nailing him to the cross by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Got no problem with that. Great. But mess with my idea of autonomy, mess with my supposed freedom of will, tell me my faith is dependent totally on God's will, now we have a problem. Why do we have this problem? Because it pierces right down to the button of your sinful nature and my sinful nature. Romans 3, 10 to 12. There is none righteous. That's an absolute negative. There's none, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Not even one. All have turned aside. Together, they have become a little bit useful. No, useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. Praise God that he saves us despite all of that. R.C. Sproul says, it's not why does God choose some and and not others. Why does he choose anybody? Because we all are in the same boat. We have no control over it. And because of this, God must intervene and override our sinful nature in salvation and sanctification alike. Otherwise, our faith would be hopeless and powerless. So God, he intervened in the life of Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob, guiding their faith and at the same time turning it to his and for his glory. Now again, I don't try to figure God out. And I'm not trying to be to brag about that. I'm saying that out of frustration because I did. I tried to under, I tried to figure it out. Because we do make choices. Because we do follow God. We do activate our faith. But over and above all of that is God behind the scenes, orchestrating, predetermining, 
guiding, and making us go forth according to his decree. He doesn't cover his eyes from the future. He doesn't use his power to forget, so he has this middle knowledge. He knows what free creatures are going to do, but he ignores it. And then he formulates their will based on all the things they're doing. It doesn't make sense. It's not what Scripture says. It actually is theologically impossible. God actually mocks this attitude. In Isaiah 41, 21, he says, Present your case, says the Lord. This is all sarcasm. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what's going to happen? Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds, so we may know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. Now again, we have to understand that there is no time, there is no place, there is nothing that God doesn't inherently know and decree. Paul says he, this is a big argument even back then. He, he answers the objection in Romans 9 and 23. Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? How can he still accuse me of wrong if he's sovereignly over everything? Who can resist his will? On the contrary, and this is where we have to go instead. On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? And I trust Paul, and I trust the word of God. I'm not going to question the molder and the maker with my very puny intellect. So what does this mean for us? I have no idea. I'll see you later. What does it mean? Here's what it means. It means God will bring forth his sovereign will despite and in conjunction with your intentions and faith. So we must rest and have the joy knowing that God is in complete control. And you endure and walk by faith. Trust that God is guiding your steps and your faith. Especially when waiting for promises. You know what we, we I hear a lot with parents and young children. I have young children, you know. You know, what's going on? You know, they were baptized. I committed them to the Lord. They're in covenant with God. But they're going astray. And of course, none of my children, this doesn't apply to any of my children. But, you know, tongue in cheek. This is where all of our kids are, you know, we're always wondering, where are they going now? What are they doing? Where are they thinking? But then we hear the proverb. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart. So you focus on the promise and you be patient. You may have given your life to God. He may have saved you. But now you're in what I like to call a spiritual bankruptcy. Nothing is there. Seems like there's an iron curtain above your head. Your prayers are just falling right back down on top of you. What do you do? You wait. You follow the promise. Listen to Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Well, we know that the Lord has it in control, but there's one thing that I love to look at. And again, we know, we know the scripture, right? And we know that all things, right? We know that God, I should say, causes God causes all things to work together. A lot of times we, we, we forget that word together. We say God makes all things work for good. No, nope, he causes all things to work together. So the good and the bad, they all work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Not the ones that aren't called according to his purpose. They can't claim that promise. But if you're a child of God, you know that whatever's going on for you today is good. Whether it's not, <laughs> or it is, it's good. <clears throat> he says that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these he called, he also justified. And these he justified, he glorified. It's called the unbreakable chain 
of redemption. All those that are predestined are ultimately glorified. We just read that in John 6. But the best thing is, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, which he is, if you're here right now listening to his voice, he's for you. You're hearing the truth of the gospel, not from because of my intellect, because it's just the word of God. And so if anything is turnkey about our faith, it's that God is for us and no one can rise up against us. So we have to step out, trust his promises, stop trying to connect all the dots, and all will be done according to his will and his purpose. And guess what? No one can change it. It's set in stone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sovereign will, Lord. I pray, God, that this message, Lord, would would penetrate into our hearts, especially when we're going through times when we just don't understand. But, Lord, we know that you're in full control. We know, Lord, that you guide our faith, and we're so thankful for that, Lord, because as soon as we step out of your will, we understand the ramifications. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to just say before we worship in this last song that Isaac and Jacob had something that we don't have. And what is that? It's Christ living in you. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. You see, we forget about the Holy Spirit. God has given you the Holy Spirit as that navigation technique, that navigation mechanism in you, which guarantees the work will be complete. But again, you, know, you need to have Christ to have the Holy Spirit. Wherever, whoever you are, wherever you're listening, if you don't have Christ, then please delete this message and don't listen to it. But if you do have Christ, know you have the richest treasure living in you. And if you haven't known Christ, come to him right now. Step one is believe that he is God. Believe that he gave his life for your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. Believe that he ascended on the third day. And when you believe, God promises that he will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. And he will make you into that new creation, that new creature that he absolutely intended you to be and mankind to be from the very beginning in the garden. But Christ has come and reversed the curse. He's given his life. His atoning blood covers all sins. His atoning blood covers all sins in your future, in your past, and the ones that you're wrangling with right now. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the Spirit. If the Spirit's calling you right now, you respond by just simply calling out to the Lord from your heart. So now I'm going to escape and avoid all questions regarding the sermon.